Hey, one more thing before you go. What do you do when you lose your 40-year-old husband to an aneurysm and he's not even home? What do you tell your two children who want to know exactly why their father's not coming home? How does your life move forward after coming to an abrupt halt, leaving you the sole parent of two boys and not knowing what's going to happen to your future? I'm your host, Michael Hurst, and this is The Thing About the Empowerment of Choice. Hey, as my guest so eloquently reminds us, grief is individual. No two stories are the same in particular, not the emotions you deal with hourly. Every roller coaster has different turns, and in this episode, you're going to understand the methods and the special unique strategies to find happiness and joy again, as well as what choices you have to change your life. Marie Alessi is a mother, a best-selling author, a dancer, a CEO, an influencer, a speaker. After her husband passed away unexpectedly from an aneurysm, she found and created her way back to joy and happiness. She instinctively knew it was the only path worthy for their young boys. Her husband had taught her the concept of two choices, and this one was made in his honor to make him proud. Marie has become a shining example of choosing love over fear and sadness, and started a movement of loving life after loss. She offers hope, healing, and happiness to the world when people expect it the least and need it the most. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Michael. I'm really excited, like I said, about having this conversation. I think that what you bring to this me world too. is a wonderful thing, and I think we need more people to kind of kind of get on that bandwagon, I do believe. I agree. Thank you. Well, i like to start, um, I mean, we're going to unfold your story and your life a little bit, if you don't mind. Uh, I think that uh, we kind of want to know how you got to where you got. Um, let's start at the beginning. Where would you grow up? Wow. Okay. So I'll try to give it to you in a nutshell because it's a very long story how I got to where I'm at. So I'll, I'll keep that as short as possible. And then you can ask me more details where you would like to know more. Okay. Um, I was uh, born in Austria and uh, grew up mainly in Austria, partially in Germany as well, then back to Austria. And at the age of 25, I followed a very strong calling that I had since at least when I was 17, if not before. And that calling always um, told me that I had to come to Australia and live here. It was not just for a visit. It was like, this is where you have to live. I cannot explain it. I don't know where it came from. But uh, when I was 25, I flew here for the first time. And I instantly felt like coming home. It was an incredible feeling of I'm finally home. I cannot explain this why. And uh, it took me another seven years to finally make Australia my home. But I did manage to do that. I did manage to follow my calling. And literally 10 months later, after finally moving here, I met my husband, Rob. And another 10 months later, we were married. So if somebody would have told me, previously that 
I would move to the other side of the world, find the guy that I'm going to marry and marry him 10 months later. I would have asked him if they're slightly crazy or out of their mind because if that's Mr. Right, he'd still be Mr. Right three to five years later. But when Rob proposed to me, I was like, of course. There was no doubt in my mind. So we got married. I never regretted it for a second in my life, not for a moment. And two years later, we had our first son, Flynn. Another two years later, our second son, Jed, and our family was complete with that. I left the advertising industry that I'd been in for a decade before I had a family. And then when the boys were about three and one, I literally stumbled into the self-development world. I started my own coaching business and worked predominantly with business owners on their personal growth to achieve business growth. And those tools, all the tools around mindset that I not only learned but taught were really, really put to the test about seven, seven and a half years into running my own business when Rob was on a business trip five hours flight away from us and had a brain aneurysm and died without any pre-warning in a prime of his life at the age of 45. Yeah, so that's my story as much in a nutshell as I possibly can give well, it. Well, you know, it, it's, it's a journey. It's, it's, I mean, an amazing yeah. journey, especially going across the world. I, I, I know that I can hear your Australian accent. And you, say <laughs> you grew up in Austria, correct? Yes. Yeah, I have relatives yeah. from way back Austria. So, uh, my oh, grandmother beautiful. on yeah. my father's side and my mm-hmm. great-grandparents on my father's side grew up in, and are from Incredible. Austria. Yeah. Um, just on a side note, and you brought that up. Yeah, sure. Interesting. I love it. <laughs> so, so you're in, you, where did you meet your husband? Uh, we were actually set up. So at that time, I, <laughs> I was going to a karaoke club with a friend of mine who loved to sing. And we were there pretty much every Friday. And one of the regulars brought one of her workmates along, um, and her and I got on really well. We had a chit chat and as you do between women, you talk about men. And I remember saying to her, it would be nice to meet a nice man for a change because I always had these young boys trying to chat me up because I looked a lot younger for my age and uh, still do, of course. <laughs> 20, and, um, 20, 28, I, I'd beg you at 20. And I'm you. a trained observer. Thank you so much. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, I agree. So you're only a couple of years off. And... Um, yeah, anyway, so she said, oh, I know a nice man. And I'm like, yeah, that's what they all say. And she told me about Rob and everything she said sounded just way too good to be true. And I'm like, where's the catch? It's just, it's, he sounds too good to be true. And, yeah, so she set us up and we went on a double date, which wasn't supposed to be a double date, but it really ended up being that. And, um, and then I realized there was no catch. He was the catch. Seriously, absolute absolute catch i'm very lucky to you say know, that it, it took people, us a few weeks but yeah you know people say that that there's no well I, i'm talking we're taking this interview on valentine's day happy valentine's day by the way i know thank you happy yeah. valentine's which is thank sorry you. i need to quickly say this it's valentine's day for you for me it's already the 15th of february here in australia oh, yeah, which is, is perfect because today is rob's birthday well, so happy birthday. i just absolutely love that that it's your valentine's and happy my birthday rob's Rob. birthday yeah, but uh, that, that's outstanding. Yeah, 30, this is the 30, we're way off subject, 33rd anniversary of my wife and I's second date. 
No way. I love this. Because yeah. Rob and I were 33 when we got married, both of us. So here, here we go. All the numbers coming together. I love yeah. it. <laughs> Everything. All, really, yeah, happy lot, anniversary. Lot of three. I love it. <laughs> a lot of three. Threes are good. Threes are positive, mm-hmm. see? Um, but yeah, it, it's, people don't believe in uh, love at first sight and they think it's a far-fetched thing and, you know, they think it's impossible to find somebody that, you know, that, that instantaneously and go, Hey, this is the person, this is right. But, uh, you know, the funny thing is it wasn't even love at first sight. I just knew when I met Rob, I felt so comfortable around him. I could be myself. There was no (gasps) pretending or nervousness or anything. I just felt so me and that felt really great. Took me another few weeks to realize that I was actually falling in love with him. It, it was completely different to what I had experienced before. There was a lot cool. of fireworks and lots of ashes with rock. There was this little flame that started burning brighter and brighter and never so, stopped. So, yeah. Sometimes that's the best, right? Oh, perfect. <laughs> yeah, 100%. Sometimes, you know, love comes in many different methods and many different ways. And I think that, yes. uh, you know, once we uh, start ignite that flame, and it goes in the right direction. It gives us something that uh, is with us for the rest of our lives, deep down in yeah. our soul. So Absolutely. What, oh, what, what did he do for a living? Uh, he worked in the car industry. So he was in uh, management. And uh, just actually about 18 months before he passed, he moved to a prestige tool company. I'm just going to name and shame them, snap on. So he worked there um, for, the, for the last 18 months and was a um, diagnostic tool specialist. So he traveled a lot and he was away for work when he passed as well. So did, um, I know we, we talked earlier that uh, uh, we we're going to be open and honest conversation about this. Absolutely, thing, please. Did he, uh, is he, was he a healthy individual? Did he, you know, have yeah. any indications that would show something like an no, aneurysm that pops whatsoever. up? whatsoever. No. Uh, so Rob was in a prime of his life. He was 45 when he passed. He was a surfer. He was really healthy. He went to regular checkups. He did have quite an intense head cold before he left and was really worried about not being healthy before he flew out. And, but he was, you know, he managed to recover and, uh, so nobody thought anything of it. And even in hindsight, when we got the post-mortem report, uh, the doctor sat with me. She was beautiful. She called me in on a Sunday because she said, I didn't want to do that between patients. I want you to have all the time in the world to read through this. And we, we read through it together and asked her all the questions I had. And she said, Marie, there's one thing I need you to know. Nothing could have indicated that this was about to happen. None of the regular checkups he did, not the head cold he had before, not the post-mortem report. There was no pre-warning. There were no signs. And it was just a freak accident. Just completely, wow, just completely. Um, yeah. I, I won't say accidental, but um, mm. very uh, unexpected. I know what you mean. Yeah, definitely unexpected. Yeah. yeah. I know. I mean, I've, in my career, as we talked about earlier, you know, I, mm. I delivered messages from unexpected deaths like, car accident or you know a heart attack or somebody fell you know yeah. a fire things like this uh, unfortunately homicides you know you you mm. knock on the door and you give them an unexpected message and it yeah. floors you i'm sure that you know you yeah. probably felt the same way when you got that first phone call absolutely because you know michael i was actually the one who alarmed the hotel room where rob was staying i didn't hear from him the entire day he was supposed to call me in the morning and he didn't and i thought there's something off because 
if there was one thing about Rob, I could always rely on him. If he said to me, I'll call you at 7.30, he'd call at 7.30, you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, and he was supposed to call me at 7.30 to wake me up and he didn't. And I thought there's something going on and I instantly felt when I woke up something was not right. But I didn't think of that, obviously, you know, and the day went on and my anxiety levels were rising and I'm thinking, why haven't I heard from him? Why is he not calling back? Why is he not answering my text messages? And then around lunchtime, I thought, I've got the number of the hotel. He always left, you know, the hotel where he was staying in my phone just in case. And unfortunately, that day was just in case. And I called the hotel and I remember the moment I dialed the number, I had this split second of an image, like a vision in my head of him collapsing on the shower. And I'm like, what are you doing to yourself, Marie? Stop that. Don't, don't even buy into that. Don't buy into that. But I had this vision and that brought me to say to the hotel people there when they picked up the phone and I said, you know, please don't think I'm one of those freaked out wives talking to her husbands, but, you know, I haven't heard from him. He's staying with you. Can you please send somebody up to his room to check? And then I said, and can you please get them to check in the shower? And that's where they found him. He had collapsed in a shower and died. So it was just incredible that I had this weird vision in my head, you know, where I thought, wow, I did not want to see that image, but it made me say, can you please check in the shower? And that's where they found him. Maybe he gave you a message. Mm. Oh, I'm absolutely certain of that. Yeah. yeah 100%. I, I, I agree with that. So you, I mean, um, I know that you had said he traveled. Was it out of the country or within mm. the country? No, it was all within Australia. Oh, yeah, Australia. but he was five hours flights away, so it was the furthest he could go in Australia. <laughs> when, he, when he died, he was five hours flights away. Yeah, that's got to be difficult from that perspective. Mm. Um, How do you... Uh, how did you kind of cope with it? How did you move forward? What what happened next? So I received a phone call from the sergeant. He broke protocol. He said that to me. He said, I'm not supposed to tell you this over the phone, but I saw that you kept calling and we tried to get in contact with police. And I live in a small country town. We don't have a main police station here. So they couldn't find anybody. And because I kept calling, he made an executive decision to tell me over the phone, which, by the way, I am so grateful for. I am so grateful that he told me over the phone because I had the opportunity to have a moment of a breather to digest the news and for me to break this news to the boys and not for police to rock up at our house and tell the boys that their dad had passed. I was really grateful that this was meant to be like that. Do you know what I mean? This is really... 100%. it was the better way. And I'm so grateful that he trusted his instinct and broke protocol to actually tell me over the phone. He was incredible. He said he's a father of two boys himself. And he really, he was so supportive. This sergeant really, I obviously don't want to name him here, but he was so supportive of the way we dealt with it, the way he uh, handled it when we came to Perth. We flew to the other side of Australia the next day, just the boys and I to identify Rob's body. So um, we were there together. We were very, very lucky that we had friends that we could stay with there because the last thing I wanted was to stay in a hotel room in Perth um, while I was there. And uh, he took us in. And that night, and I want to share that with you, Michael, because you would be able to to so relate to that, uh, how important it is to have actually human beings in that role. That night um, after I identified Rob's body, or it was the night after actually, sorry, a police officer called me 
it was a woman and she was a mom of three kids. And she said to me, I, I wanted to give you some space, Marie, but I wanted to call you. And she called me off duty. She called me after hours and said, I wanted to give you the opportunity. I can only imagine you must have a hundred questions and I want to answer every single one of them. And that to me was so incredible. It was one of the most incredible gifts, those two people that they were sent to me uh, handling my husband's case, that they were so human and so beautiful and so nurturing in their entire way of how they dealt with me, how they held space for me, how they were there to ask and answer to answer any questions I had. And also she actually later on joined my movement that I have founded that we'll talk about in a minute, mm-hmm. but she actually joined my movement and she's there under, uh, not under her real name on Facebook for, for obvious reasons, but knowing that she's in the group means so much to me. You know, it went way beyond her duty. She said, we're used to seeing people dying, but they usually mm-hmm. cases of, they were unfit, they were overweight, they were old, they were this, they were that. There was always reasons and not that it makes it any less sad, but she said to see somebody in the prime of their life so fit and so healthy die is very different and also really hit home for her because, you know, her kids were roughly the same age, even a little bit younger than mine. So to hear that really, it gave me so much, you know, to be seen um, as a a person and not as a case, yeah. Yeah, you know, I I yeah. have to commend them as well. Coming from that profession, it is very difficult, yeah. and you do get complacent at certain times within environments like yeah. that. I can understand that. And the majority of um, what you deal with a lot is uh, from a violent nature, or from you know, uh, an, uh, not necessarily yeah. the best circumstances upon somebody's death, um, but there are a few that show up, and you kind of really hits home, and it it takes yeah. you into your heart and. Um, you know, I still have cases that my wife and I talk about, uh, because I held it in for so long mm. that, you know, my wife and I talk about still that, that were like that. And I am so, I'm very, very happy that you shared that here on the podcast, mm. because it shows that there are some police officers that are compassionate and human beings and yeah. empathetic. And, and you know what, I understand that they have to also wear some protection mechanism, you know, emotionally protect themselves from letting that under your skin all the time. If you deal with that on a daily basis, it's the same for me in my movement. I deal with death and dying and some really brutal cases on a daily basis now. And I had to learn to protect myself, to not, you know, let that too close into my heart because I can only help them from an outside perspective. So I can only imagine, you know, from what you handle, you are actually there in person. You don't just hear about it like I do. You see it as well. You experience it. And that's very different. Well, I'm very grateful. I I really commend you. Thank you. I'm grateful that you had Mm -hmm. some people within your life like that that treated you that way and allowed you the time to process. How How old are your kids at that time? They were eight and ten. They are twelve and fourteen now. So they, yeah. you know, they're old enough to understand that dad's not coming home, and and yes. it's hard to lose a father at, at when you're that age. It's hard to lose your father. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to lose your father anyway, but it's hard within that yeah. circumstance because you're just starting to evolve into a young man, a teenager, and you know, within a preteen yeah. teenager range. So um, that 
that presented a unique situation for you as a single parent mm -hmm. as well and how to deal with your children with regard to that. Um, yeah. Can we talk about that? There are actually two things that jump out for me straight away that I want to address here. The first thing is I had this really incredibly deep thought after, after Rob passed that I thought the boys are only 10 and 8. They were combined, not even as old as I was when I lost my dad. I was 20 when I lost my dad, and I thought that that was young, you know, exactly what you said. That uh, I mean, for me, it was post-teen stage, not pre-teen. Uh, but at 20, you're just at an age where you're officially an adult, but you still really need your parents around. And I had such a close relationship to my dad. It really threw me. I had no tools back then to deal with my dad's passing. and. Um, Looking at my boys, thinking they're only 10 and 8, I can't even imagine what must be going through their minds right now. And I remember these moments so vividly when I had to break the news to them and there was crying and screaming and it really pierced through my heart hearing them scream. I was not prepared for that. And uh, we hugged each other and we cried. And I remember Flynn, he was 10, looked at me and said, it's a butterfly flying past. I love this. Um, he's like, who's going to look after us now, Mom? And I said, I will. I will look after you, Flynn. You know, and I remember thinking in hindsight how important it was for me to say that out loud. It was not just important for them to hear it, but also for me to actually say those words out loud. It was like a promise I made there and then to themselves, to them and to myself, um, that I will be the one looking after them. And the other thing I want to highlight, because this is something that despite it being almost four years, like over three and a half years now since Rob passed, uh, I only had this epiphany about two months ago, and I did a talk about that, that I have referred to myself as, as a single mom since Rob died, but I'm not. I'm a sole parent. And there's a huge difference between a single parent and a sole parent. A single parent always has another single parent somewhere else. Might be remarried and not single anymore, but has another parent to rely on, to take them on weekends, to take them the odd holidays, to bounce off ideas with, to talk about issues or hopes or plans or dreams. But I'm a sole parent. There's nobody else. It's just me. And I'm not saying that because I'm feeling sorry for myself because I don't. I'm saying that because it's important for those out there who listen to this and who might be a sole parent too, to own this and to be mm. more kind and more compassionate towards yourself when, yeah, things are tough. So yeah, that's, that's an amazing uh, perspective to look at it from that perspective yeah. as a sole parent and not necessarily a single yeah. parent. Because I've been the child of a divorce. And mm. my mother was a single mother at that time. Yeah. And then when my father passed away without mm -hmm. realizing it, I never thought it from that perspective. But yeah, so mm. she became a sole parent because I did not have a father yeah. to turn to. Um, even, in, yeah. even if I was angry and at my mom, I had mm. did not have. So, yeah, that's interesting. Thank yeah. you for sharing that. I really appreciate that. Um, mm. Your husband, speaking of, of, of your husband and, and that choice of making that choice of saying that I'm a single yeah. parent, not a single parent, um, he helps you just 
kind of understand the two choice, the concept of two choices? Yeah. Can we talk yes, about that? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I love that. It's it's such a beautiful thing. And um, in particular, thinking that I went into the coaching industry after leaving advertising and before I even became a coach, Rob was the one who taught me that concept of two choices or the concept of choices really. And he often said to me, you know, you have, you have the choice to focus on a negative or on a positive every single day, every single moment. And when things happen in life, and things do happen. You know, life is not always rosy and not always um, easy and smooth sailing. Uh, there, there are storms. There are issues. There are challenges. And when they come, you can focus on the solutions or you can focus on the challenges. And I was always one to focus on the solutions. And I know that I have got Rob to thank for because he was the one who constantly kept uh, reminding me and constantly kept saying that to me. He was that person who could look at me when I was falling apart and just say, someone needs a hug with that cheeky smile and just hug me, you know, when I was about to fall apart. And just by that, he, he would make everything better. And I just love that he taught me that because um, when he passed, that's really what I needed to have. That was my most important tool to remind myself that I had choices. And so often I, w- I want to share two, two examples here actually about choices that are so important. The one thing is that I often hear, well, I didn't choose that my husband passed. Where's the choice in that? And I'll say, well, I didn't say that you chose that. Although on a deep spiritual level, I actually do believe that we chose this very soul contract that Rob and I had, but that's a very different story. But when you go from that, okay, I did not choose that my husband died. Okay. But you can choose how you deal with it. You can choose whether you stay in grief, whether you stay stuck in pain, or whether you choose healing. Healing is a choice. Happiness is a choice. Love is a choice. We need to choose to allow that in. That's where our choice lies. But, of course, we can also choose um, to stay stuck in grief, to stay in the pain and to choose that this is our way of demonstrating how much we love that person, to show how much we're grieving. This is what society teaches us. I don't believe it's the right way. I believe my right way is to show how much I love Rob by honouring the love that we had, by honouring the talk that we had. He said when if something was ever to happen to me, I want you to take the boys and create the happiest life possible. We said that to each other because that is what love is. If you love someone, you want them to be happy. It's that simple. There is no other choice for me, really. Love to me is to create happiness, to keep the love alive that we had. And his, our love just lives on through the boys. If they're the perfect living example of our love. You know, I often, I often joke about that when somebody makes comments about my boys or says, oh, they're so handsome, or they're so this, they're so that. I always respond with the comment, hashtag made with love. <laughs> uh, I love yeah. that. That's pretty cool, actually. I think, <laughs> Yeah. you know, it, it's, it's uh, well, that's a brilliant story. Thank you. Uh, you know, it, You're welcome. the, I also resonate with your husband in in helping you to understand that you know to to for choice we all have a choice in life yeah and uh, yeah. we have a choice to either move forward we have a choice to yeah. sit back and take yeah. a step back you have a choice to love you have a choice to hate so um, mm. yeah I love the concept of choice I taught my daughters that you have yeah. a choice 
in I had mm. to make that like when I was in my wheelchair you know yeah they were giving me a choice I had a choice to sit in the wheelchair and and feel sorry for myself or I had a choice to make the effort to walk my daughter down the aisle and I love it I, I, I love absolutely it. love it and I'd say for the record, right choice. I, I it is my choice. I have, I have to say for I'm, I would have done it for my youngest daughter as well. But yeah. um, and I can still do that for my youngest daughter because I'm not mm. in the wheelchair. So I love my yeah. daughters equally. So that's, yeah. that's out there in the universe. So they know that. I love it. <laughs> Uh, but That's yeah. so beautiful. I actually, because I said I, I had two examples, I actually wanted to share one more quickly about choice because there's also a lot of moms out there in particular. Uh, I work with a lot of moms, as you can imagine, and I often hear them say to me, well, I had to do it. I had to move on for my kids. And I don't agree with that. You didn't have to. You chose to. And it's a tiny slight difference, mm -hmm. but it's a very important difference. I want to say that I want for all the moms out there to hear that, that think, well, I had no choice. You did have a choice. Unfortunately, there are a lot of people out there, and we know it through statistics. Michael, you would have worked with that on an ongoing basis. There are a lot of people out there who make different choices, who fall into depression, into alcoholism, into tablets, into drugs, into anything that uh, numbs their mind to be able to cope with that pain that they find so unbearable. Unfortunately, there is also the choice of suicide that a lot of people make. I'm not saying it is the perfect choice at all, or contraire, but it is a choice. People make that choice and you made the choice to not do that. You made the choice to carry on for your kids. So don't ever give me that. I had no choice. I had to for my kids. I had the choice and I chose to do that for my children. And I want you to really own that. It is so important for you to understand that it is so empowering and so encouraging to understand that on some level you made that choice. And I want to congratulate you for doing that. Oh, that's a, that's a brilliant, that's actually brilliant, brilliant. The, the perspective of empowerment is a positive thing yeah. in regard to moving forward from something like loss, especially the unexpected loss. Would you agree? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. You can, you've got to, I think, learn to empower yourself to be able to move forward, empower mm. yourself with a decision to move forward in a good, positive way. Mm. Uh, I really yeah. want to emphasize, I really like what you said about the sole parent um, because mm. I've heard so many other conversations yeah. where they said, well, now I became a single parent. I'm a single parent. I'm a single parent. I'm a single parent. Well, mm. I'm going to remind them in my next, yeah. my next interviews that we talk about mm. that. I think that if you don't mind, I'm going to borrow that from you. Not at all. Them Not at all. Please are, use it. Share it. Absolutely. I love it. Yeah. From that perspective. And I so, also want them to understand. I want to remind them of mm -hmm. that because it's a reminder to be more kind and compassionate towards yourself. That's why I'm highlighting that, not not to feel sorry for you. It's it's your path. You know, it's at some level you have chosen that path. And I understand that everybody's got different beliefs. That's my belief. Mm -hmm. And uh, to just own that, be kind to yourself. Well, and, and I think grief, grief has, we all hear about these stages of grief, the, the five steps of grief. But Ooh. in reality, that five steps can, is kind of a convoluted, right? They don't necessarily have to be all in order. They don't have to be done in five days. They don't have to be done in seven days. Um, everybody goes through grief differently, don't they? I'll share a little secret with you. This is also something I did not know when I first started Loving Love After Loss, but I have learned that about two years into running that 
movement um, or maybe a, a year into it, it doesn't matter, that the five stages of grief by Dr. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross um, were never intended to be five stages of grief. They were actually five stages for terminally ill people. Oh, and when you know think that. about it, it makes so much more sense. The bargaining, the anger, the, you know, like the denial. Oh, yeah. um, it was for people who knew that they were dying and they were terminally ill. They were in denial at first. They didn't want to know about it. They were bargaining for their lives. It never was intended to be five stages of grief. I have no idea when and how that got misconstrued uh, or misunderstood or turned around in any way, but they were never intended as five stages or seven stages of grief. They kept adding to them, and then there were nine stages of grief and all of that. So I don't agree with any of that. I believe that these stages of grief, and I put these under quotation marks after what I've shared, were uh, labels that were used by society in an attempt to name something they had no words for. That is my understanding of it, what happened. And I feel that our society is very lost for words when it comes to grief because um, what they teach us is literally somebody dies, you fall apart. Your life is over. You are now a widow. And my big mission is in life is to heal the world from grief and to redefine our image of a widow. That really is my biggest mission because, I mean, when you look at me, I see myself on camera right now. I don't see myself as that typical, that stereotypical uh, image of a widow, you know, wearing black, being old, your life is over and you have now got the rest of your life to talk about and mourn your husband, and I am not that stereotypical widow. I am a woman, and I, yes, my husband died. I have two children, and there are very great, three great reasons in my life, them and me, to create an amazing life. Like, what would I teach them if I would teach them how to fall apart? I want them to be strong. I want them to experience love and joy and happiness. And I want them to learn tools how to deal with the challenges. So these are all my choices. This is what I want to teach them. This is who I want to be for them. And I want to share one example with you, Michael. After I started Loving Life After Loss, I um, had a lot of media appearance, a lot of media attention. And, um, I remember Flynn was 11, so it was about a year into it, or not, not even a year into it, I think. And we were upstairs in our bedroom, the very bedroom where I received that phone call. And he looked at me and I could see he was in deep thought. There was something going on. He said, Mom, i got to tell you something, but I don't know how to say that. I don't want you to be offended or I don't want to hurt you. And I said, and, you know, like as a mom, you instantly feel there's some depth to that conversation that's to come. And I just wanted to hold space for him. I wanted him to be able to say whatever that was, but I could feel, you know, this, this is going to be intense. And he looked at me and said, you know, our life has sort of gotten better since that past. And my heart sunk when he said that. I still remember that moment. And he said, it's not because he passed, but it's because of what you made out of it. Wow. 
That was profound. And I was so floored. That was so profound. I actually asked for permission to share this. I said I wouldn't if you wouldn't want me to, but I said I think there are a lot of people out there who need to hear this, not to blow my trumpet, but to realise what hope there is for them, you know. If well, you decide yeah. yeah, to choose happiness, to choose healing, it is a choice. Oh, yeah, that, that was yeah, one of my profoundest moments, seriously. Yeah, that's that a testament to your well, I'm sorry. There was a delay, my apologies. No, no, it's fine. It's fine. Um you are talking from Australia and I'm in Phoenix. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Arizona. <Okay. laughs> Um, yeah, that, that's an amazing testament to the fact that um, you, you set a good example for your children to understand mm. how to work through what the loss Thank that you. you all experienced. Because, you know, people, and when I say this, I'm, I'm going to hopefully say it without too many people yelling at me from this regard, because I've experienced <laughs> it from, from my side as a child growing up. When I lost my um, father, for example, you know, uh, I, yeah. it, it was treated as in we don't talk about it, and this is just mm -hmm. what happened, and you need to buck up, be the man, and uh, you're the oldest, yeah. so now you're the man of the house. And that, from yeah. that perspective, you know what I mean? There wasn't, uh, uh, um, it, and if you're listening up there, you know, I understand. Uh, <laughs> it wasn't a... Um, uh, a conversation about death. It was a conversation that yeah. he's gone, he passed away, he's buried, mm. move on, yeah. do your thing. Yeah. There, there was no conversation, what happened, how, why this, why that. There was no conversation. Mm. It was just suck it up. What I, a shame. You know, and I, it yeah. took me 40 years, I'm going to give part of my age, my age away, about 48 years before I finally come to an understanding of, of what mm. exactly happened to my father when he passed away and why he passed away. Wow. You know, it took me that long to be able to kind of understand that and get interested wow. in that because nobody talked about it. So uh, I commend you immensely for creating that environment for yourself and for those other people who are experiencing that journey of their own, that you can have a Thank conversation you. in regard to these situations. And you can have a conversation about losing somebody whether it be your father, your mother, your aunt, your uncle, your grandfather, your whoever, yeah. whoever it happens to be, you can have a conversation mm. without having to um, shut it in or shut it up from that mm. perspective. So I wow. agree. Thank you. Um, had you, I know that you said that you had left the, your uh, previous profession and you got into self-help. Had you thought in, in any of that, that it would actually lead to what you do now? Or were you approaching no it from a different perspective completely? No way at, at all. Like seriously, if, you know, looking back now, I I can see all the puzzle pieces coming together. I'm actually having goosebumps just saying that now, but it's just, you know, it, it's incredible when you think about that I left the advertising industry to have a family because I've seen too many people try to combine a career in advertising and family and never worked. Um and uh, it never worked well. Uh, there was always the family or the, the career that was neglected. And it, uh, I hope I'm not causing any offense to anybody hearing that working in advertising. Uh, but I just knew for me it was not the right choice and I had to leave. And, you know, thinking that I then got into self-development and I actually, 
in that whole process, because I started working with moms first and then with business owners and then the business owners got, you know, higher and higher caliber. And um, everything I did was around transition, was around either going back to work or stepping up in business, growing your business. And I actually developed a process that I called the re-identification process. And I'm still using that now in my healing programs because you do go through a process of re-identifying yourself. You know, who am I after loss? That that's It's really a huge question. You're not the same person anymore. And when people say, oh, it'll never be the same, well, of course not. That was a huge adversity in your life. Of course it'll never be the same. Yet it depends on what you choose to make of it whether that has to be something bad or something sad or something happy or something good. I have certainly made something incredible out of Rob's passing. And that to me is really beautiful to know because it wasn't for nothing. Yeah. You from what I've, no, absolutely. 100%. You know, it, and I've seen it through other um, personally and professionally. I've seen where uh, you have people that lost their loved one that they've been with for, for whether it be a short time in some instances or a long time, married for 30, mm. 40 years, the spouse passes mm. away. And then within a few months, the other one passes away because they don't know what to do yeah. with their life after losing yeah. that part of up. their life. And and it, it's sad because there is life yeah. after loss as you, mm. as you're, your website will say, and as your book will mm. say, and as you say, there is life yeah. after loss. You can move forward. You can mm. move forward in a very positive way and reinvent your life. Reinvention mm. is not, I won't say it's easy, you know, because I've been in a situation where I had to reinvent my life. I was a police officer for, yeah. I was a career. I was a sergeant and yeah. I went for lieutenant. And, and he was an identity. You lose yeah. an identity and, and you yeah. know, it's kind of the same process. You have to reinvent your life and decide whether or not mm -hmm. you fit in anymore. So you have yeah. created an environment for people to, to help them through that transition, so mm -hmm. to speak. Absolutely. So, um, yeah. at, at what point did you um, kind of, kind of connect those, those pieces together from what you had learned before to what happened after loss? And yeah, so there were two, two very pivotal uh, moments to come to what I do now. The first one was um, sitting in my counsellor's office, actually. I, I worked with a positive psychologist for about four months after Rob died. And, uh, and I remember her asking me what grief meant to me. And to my surprise, the word empowerment came up. And I was like, wow, I did not expect that word when you asked me what grief meant. So we looked into that and I realized because I felt such an incredible strength after Rob died, I really felt my intuition went through the roof. I felt extremely guided by him, by my intuition, by, by the universe, however you want to explain it, by all of the above. I just felt guided along the way the entire time. I really felt that I was always looked after. And there was never a doubt about my next step. It was really quite incredible. That to me was really empowering. And it was the least expected word to describe my situation, but there it was really strong and straight from my heart. And I remember looking at her saying, I think I need to write a book about this. You know, I always had this feeling that I would write a book one day, but now I know 
that I have to write a book about this. And a couple of weeks later, I actually did. And it took me four weeks to write, edit and publish that book. And so I published Loving Life After Loss. That was the title of the book. And it not only became an Amazon number one bestseller, but it also ranked in the top 100 of Australia. And I realized I had something that the world needed. There was hope, there was happiness, and I knew how to give that to people. I knew how to guide them through that. And um, I didn't know it at that time instantly when I wrote and published a book, but when it came out in a top 100, and then I traveled around the world with the boys for two months, and I was in Vienna, and I was literally going through the motions of what had happened, you know, the last six months since Rob's passing and us traveling and I was like, wow, it was just so overwhelming um, to think about everything that we had done and how far we had come as a family of three until that point. And it was literally seven months after he died. And I remember I had this epiphany, I need to do so much more with that. This can't end with a book where I write our story. This needs to be more than that. And then that's where I had this idea, I need to – I need to build a tribe. I need to create a movement out of this. I need people to be able to live this with me, to receive all of it, you know, the hope, the happiness, the how-to, the shifts in perspective, the finding their hidden gifts in adversity and discovering them and owning them. And I received an email from a mentor that I've been following for a while and that's exactly what he did. He used to help people build tribes. I reached out to him. We arranged a meeting for upon my return from the trip around the world. And two weeks later, I sat in one of his workshops and recorded my first welcome video for my group. And a week later, I opened the doors to Loving Love After Loss. So I named the movement after the book. And yeah, I opened the doors on the 19th of March, 19. I still remember that. So uh that that was the beginning of it all. Those, easy, those are good numbers too. Nines are good numbers. Yeah. Are good numbers. I'm so into numbers. I love it. <laughs> yeah, so it all works. <laughs> it works really well. Yeah. Um, well, and obviously I think that, you know, you, your movement can work for anybody from any age, no matter what age yeah. it takes place. Correct. So you don't, it, it's not a defined. It is like grief. And as you put it is individual. It, you know, no two are the mm -hmm. same. Everybody that experiences grief and loss, they don't always feel like eat. Like, I don't feel like you feel like when you lost, you don't mm -hmm. feel like I felt when I lost, but yeah. you, you have the opportunity and created the environment for people to be able to kind of share that together with this, with yeah. your movement, right? Yeah. I wanted a space where people can really uh, feel the support and feel the love because when I looked around, I was not a big fan of uh, going to any support groups. I always felt like that I was the one ending up giving hope to everybody else and not me, right. the one receiving the, the help that I needed because that's how I'm built. I'm hardwired to support and to help people. And I felt like when I looked around to find grief support groups, there was no support in these support groups. All they did was comparison and sharing and whose loss was fresher and who was younger and who had more kids and who had known their husband for longer. It turned into this comparison game where I don't even think they realized they were doing that. I'm actually quite certain they were 
that nobody notices that they're doing that. But really, most grief support groups, when you look into them, uh, have got massive comparison going on. And comparison is not helping any of us. Mm. What we need is compassion. What we need is somebody to hold space for us. People can't really hold space. They talk over each other and they want to hear their own story. And when you share um, your story with somebody else, the first thing is either their own story or a pre-rehearsed condolences line. You know, I, I really am not a huge fan of, I'm so sorry for your loss or you will never hear me say that in my group. I have not once used those words in my group. I'm so sorry for your loss because that would completely put into question that sacred plan that the universe had for the two of you. And mm-hmm. who am I to question that? You know, so I'm not sorry for their loss. And that might sound very brutal or mean even. I am here to hold space to find your purpose in that. And that's what you will hear from me. I will send you love and I will send you support. And no, it does not give me any pleasure or anything their likes to know somebody in pain. But I'm not sorry for their loss because I accept that as that universal sacred contract that those two people have made. And that changed a lot for me. That changes my whole starting position and that changes my ability to hold space for people where they need it and to support them with love and listening. That's a brilliant, that's a brilliant way of putting all that together. Uh, I'm, I'm really, I'm very happy that you come on the show. I, I really appreciate you so what you're sharing. You, because, you know, it, it's, I've dealt with death for a long time. Mm. I go personally and professionally and the way yeah. that you come about it and the way you present this discussion, this conversation about death and losing somebody, it is mm. compassionate. It is empathetic. It is empowering. And you're not yeah. feeling sorry for people. You're not giving them, you're not giving them the, the template, basically. What you just described was a template. You know, everybody wants mm-hmm. to come on and say the same thing and wants to do the same thing. And this is what you're supposed to do. Do yeah. this, do this, do this, do this, and just get over yeah. it. You bring them the opportunity to move forward in their life and live, laugh, and love again. Yeah. Because even if you lose somebody, you still have the opportunity to go out and find love again. You may not be the same love. You may not feel the same way, but you still have opportunity to go out and find love again. So, and enjoy life. I agree. Enjoy mm-hmm. life again. Um, in fact, I'm so excited about it. I really want to. I really want to help you move mm-hmm. forward with it. So let's talk a little bit about. Sure how to get and connect with you, especially with Loving Life After Loss in your book. Yeah. So I think the easiest way is to go onto my website, mariealessi.com, uh, because from there you really have all the pathways to find me or find my book. My, what I haven't shared with you yet is I actually just published my second book two weeks ago on the second of the second, 22, perfect, you know, talking about numbers. So I have an exclusive. Yes, my second book is actually called Happy Healing. And it is a continuum of our story, what I did after the first book, how I dealt with Rob's passing, and um, how I started the global movement 
and then also some very, very hands-on healing tips that anybody and everybody can use instantly. So that's all in my second book, Happy Healing. But on my website, you will find everything. You will find the link to my first book, to my second book, to my group. Um, you will find the links to my free healing journey that you can do in my group. And the healing journey is called From Grief to Relief. So also it's like the first few steps, how to get out of your pain. Um, there is links to my pay program, The Blank Canvas, which is really all about stepping, going through the motions of healing and stepping back into creation, into becoming the creator of your destiny, of your life, and to my retreat. So I run two retreats a year, healing retreats for three and a half days, and all of that and more is on my website. You'll find a little story about me, a video about us, um, and also the opportunity just to reach out to me and book a chat. I'm a very big believer that in 10, 15 minutes of my time, I can find out a lot about you and guide you in the right direction where to even get started. And that is very, very individual and different for everyone. So I really encourage you to just reach out and book a chat with me. That's amazing. I'll make sure that's a, all that information is in the show notes and so forth so that sure. you know, people and on your webpage on my website. Um, so mm -hmm. that they can uh, get in contact with you and follow up and find your book. Your both your books Perfect. actually. So yeah, <laughs> I, I like that. I got an exclusive. It's pretty cool. It make my father, <laughs> the journalist, proud. See, mm -hmm. uh, you say this is not a replacement for grief counseling, right? It's kind of a, uh, a positive not. addition to the journey that they're going on, which I think is brilliant as well. I would also say an alternative. I I have heard so many people that I work with and it was mostly after the retreat or after the program that they come to that said, I have not received so much healing in years of counselling that I have received in the last couple of days or weeks with you. And this is really just to show that this can be an alternative. It really depends on where you stand and what you need. So counseling was amazing for me. It's really important. I don't know what I would have done without it. Um, yet not all the counselors have got the right answers for where you are. And it is unfortunate that, that so many counselors go by the books and go by the, okay, let's work through the five stages of grief and don't know enough about grief to actually do that. So whoever you work with, make sure they have experience with healing and not with, let's see, how we can keep you stuck in the suffering and grief best. That's not the option. You know, that's not an option for me. It's not how can I suffer best and how can I suffer the least in the suffering, if that makes sense. It's the how can we actually heal? Make sure you find somebody who focuses on the healing and not on the grief because I strongly believe that when you focus on the healing and you put your entire focus and your choices onto your healing journey, that grief is a process that happens along the way. And that's how it should be. But if you focus on the grief, your focus will always be on the pain, on the suffering. And how do I get this out of it? You want because your focus is in the wrong place. Yeah, that's amazing. I was going to ask you, this is one more thing before you go. Do you have any words of wisdom? Sure. But I believe you may have just said them. <laughs> I think they were exactly that. Yeah, just find the right person for you and make sure that whoever works with you, and I'm, I'm saying that if that's a, 
high-paid professional, if that's a friend, it doesn't matter. Just find somebody who supports you in the healing. That is really, really important. Remember the choices that you have. And we can all get through this. Oh, we can. I'm the living proof. Maria, this has been a wonderful conversation. I really appreciate you coming on board and sharing your story and everything related to people moving forward in their life, especially after loss. Uh, I'll make sure that everything is in the show notes for people and on your web page on one more thing before yeah. you, or you go dot com. And uh, thank you very much. Michael, thank you so much for having me. And I really appreciate this open conversation. It's very refreshing. Thank you. Absolutely. Hey, just a real quick reminder. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you very much for being a part of the One More Thing Before You Go family. Don't forget that you can find us on your favorite podcast platform as well as here on YouTube. We thank you for your support and appreciate you joining us each and every week. Please remember to subscribe and or follow us. We would greatly appreciate it. We do have an app that's available for you for free. You'll find it in the App Store or on Google Play. It is compliments of Superpass, our sponsor. Anything that you want to do with your business to take it to the next level, have an entertainment or an information hub in the palm of your hand, it's Superpass. It will give you the unique opportunity for everything one more thing before you go. Please take the time to support us by subscribing, following, and visiting our unique merchandise store at beforeyougopodcast.shop. You'll find that link to the store in our website. It is beforeyougopodcast.shop. You can find our website at beforeyougopodcast.com and one more thing before you go.com. You will find links to your favorite platform to listen to the show as well as the show notes for today's episode and contact information for our guest. And we appreciate you. Thank you for supporting and listening to us each and every week. Thanks for listening to this episode of One More Thing Before You Go, a unique conversation about life. If you like our show and want to know more, check out our website at beforeyougopodcast.com. That's beforeyougopodcast.com. Tell your story, share your expertise, contribute to the blog, and subscribe to the newsletter. You can find us as well as subscribe to the program and rate us on your favorite podcast listening platform. And one more thing before you go. Have a nice day, have a nice week, and thanks for listening. One More Thing Before You Go, a unique conversation about life podcast, is a creation of One More Thing Productions, established 2010, all rights reserved.